I feel like I should greet you this way this morning, and that is one word, Maranatha. Right? Maranatha, if you remember last week, that means what? Jesus is coming. Amen. Is anybody eagerly awaiting that day? Absolutely. I, um, I have been so excited uh, this week to just, you know, I've, I've had, first of all, I've had many of you come to me and, and just was like, Pastor, really enjoyed that. That was great. Um, and, you know, that, I love to know what our end result is. And that is eternity with God. There's nothing like that. You know, we understand Paul says our existence, our life here on this earth is just, what, a mere vapor. It's so fast. It is so short in comparison to what your eternal existence is. And that is spending, what, an eternity, hopefully, for you, if you've made the right choice, in heaven with Jesus. You know, we looked at last week, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we saw that there was the return of Christ, and we saw uh, the resurrection of the dead, and we saw the reunion of Christians with God in heaven. Next week, I'm going to give you a little head start. <clears throat> we're going to do an overview of the book of Revelation. You know, we're going to, I'm really going to take a look at some snapshots of that book that I believe will help give us some biblical understanding of what is to come within the end times. Now, I'm going to ask this question to you. I asked it uh, last week. Who wants to live a blessed life? Raise your hand. Every single hand, right? Think about this. You want to live a blessed life? There's one simple instruction for us. As the body of Christ, if we want to live a blessed life, and that is simply this. Read the book of Revelation. The scriptures clearly indicate to us that those who read it live blessed. So please do that. I want you to live a blessed life. But today what I want us to do is I want to talk about, again, the end or the end times. Because whether or not Jesus returns in your lifetime or mine, the end of life will come on earth. And we will all eventually face one of two judgments. And what we're going to talk about today with those two judgments. And we're going to also try to answer this one simple question, but it's really complex at the same time. And that is this, what will heaven be like? Have you ever wondered that before? What will heaven be like, right? Um, So we're going to build a foundation this morning. And we're going to look at the uh, chapter 22 in Revelation. And we're going to take a look at verses 12 through 13. And these are the words that Jesus uh, has said. And we're going to start out with those words this morning. And it says this, Behold, I am coming soon. Now, that to me is very exciting. That's given me a lot of hope. That's given me a lot of excitement to know that this old life that I'm in will eventually pass away. The problems, the struggles, the tears, the disappointments, the frustrations, whatever you've gone through that has been hurtful in any way toward you, we can understand what, behold, I am coming soon. But The next few words are some things that Jesus is bringing with him when he returns. He says, my reward is with me. I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the alpha, the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Now this week, 
was very um, trying for us as a family. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain to you why here in just a minute. School has started. Everybody loves when school starts, don't we? Especially as parents. Some of you are like, no, pastor, I love my kids. I love my kids too, but I also love them when they go to school. And, and so our little guy, who's four years old, Caden, went uh, the first week. We had no problems. Have you ever, like, got involved in something and you were apprehensive knowing that the outcome was probably not going to work out the way that you wanted it to? We got one truthful person, too. Okay. Well, we got involved in sending him to school in pre-K. And honestly, I'm going, this is a fail. Because this boy is strong-willed and he loves his mother to no end. He's not going to depart from her. And so we, uh, we sent him off on that first week. And you know what? He got out of the vehicle, walked into the school with his brother like a champ. I was, yeah, woo! I was never so proud in my entire life. No problems, no tears. I wasn't, I wasn't full of anxiety anymore. I was, you know, my wife's the calm one of the family. She's like, it's all good. It's all going to be just fine. Everything's going to be fine. I'm going, something's coming. Something is coming. This is too good to be true. Well, you know, we had the whole issue with Florence come through, and which never came through for us. I'm very thankful for that. We're still praying for all of those affected, aren't we? Absolutely. And... Um, so they were out of school for a long period of time. And in my mind, I said, this has ruined it. He's, he feels like it's summer break. This is going to ruin it. And sure enough, Monday, they went back to school. We're getting, getting him up was a chore. Screaming, crying. Has any parents ever been there before? I hope so. Please tell me your stories later. I need encouragement right now. Blood-curling screams, I don't want to go. I want mommy. I want this, that, and other. And so we, we take him. And uh, sure enough, it, it, was, it was horrible. You know, I, I, I get out of the vehicle, and Carter gets out of the vehicle, and then Caden, I'm pulling him out of the vehicle. And then he's, you know, you ever seen the dogs, right? When people take them to the vet, they're like, that was Caden, you know. Everything's out. And... And uh, one of the teachers, I'm not going to say his name, he's, he's a blessed soul. I pray for him daily now. <laughs> Saw him yesterday at the water park, you know, got a fast for this guy. And uh, he looks at me, he goes, here's what we're going to do. I'm taking him and you're going to get in your car and you're going to leave. We're going to make a quick break. This is the only way we're going to break this. And I'm like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> I looked at him, I peeled him off. I said, I'll get you later. You know, <laughs> hop in the vehicle, off I go. He's... The dog, you know, he's taking him in. We get a phone call about 15 minutes later, get a phone call from the principal. Oh, no. Oh, no. And she goes, I just want to tell you, your little guy's having a hard time. I'm like, no kidding. I know this, you know. But the moment he got to his class, he calmed right down. Everything was good. I was like, yes. I was like, all right. And then he got sick. So then we had to take him to the doctor. And the doctor goes, well, he needs a day off from school. I'm like, no. <laughs> no, we can't be doing this. You know? So he gets the next day off from school. And Wednesday, it's time to take him back. I got a plan. My mother-in-law is taking him to school now. 
I'm out of the picture of this deal. She takes him. He does the same stuff. This time she walks him down to the class. He's kicking, screaming the whole nine yards. Just bam, bam, all the way down through, right? The next day, the same way. We're bribing him. Have you ever bribed a kid to do something? Like Island Creamery, Whippies, the park. I'm going to take you to the trampoline park. I'm throwing everything I got. McDonald's, chicken nuggets, you know. Anyway, so the last two days, he's gone to school, and things have been good. It's been calm. Now, I'm getting ready for tomorrow, all right? But what was really interesting was one of those weeks, one of those days when he really calmed down, and I guess he had a good remainder of the rest of the day, he got something out of the treasure box for being a good boy. And to him, that was a big deal. What did he get? He got a reward for doing something, probably that's simply what he was supposed to do anyway. You know, I look at the scripture where it says, behold, Jesus says, I'm coming with rewards. That to me is encouraging to me because understand this. You do not get to heaven according to your works. We only get to heaven according to a relationship with who? Jesus Christ. Because why? We are forgiven of him. Why? Because we have faith in him. But as we get into this today, there are rewards for those who are believers in Christ. And that you will receive by simply doing what you're supposed to do. This is not hard. God does not make this complex. He makes it very simple for us to understand. So, in other words, this. For those of you that are Christians, the way that we live on earth will determine how we will be rewarded in heaven. Now, have you ever met somebody that completely cannot tell a joke? Seriously. Right? Like, you, we didn't have to have specifics now. But you've ever met somebody that, like, you've heard, I'm this type of person. I'll hear a joke, and I think it's the funniest thing, and then I go to tell it, I'll butcher the thing all to pieces, and they're looking at me like, I don't, I don't get it. So I found this joke, but I wrote it down. Here we go. There's a, a, a preacher and a taxi cab driver died and went to heaven. St. Peter met them at the pearly gates and said, Welcome, pastor, and welcome, taxi cab driver. We've been expecting you. St. Peter said to the pastor, Over here, we have you a lovely three-bedroom, two-bath house with, with a fence, with a nice fenced-in backyard prepared for you. And to the taxi cab driver, he said, on this side, we have a seven-bedroom mansion with a lovely swimming pool overlooking the seventh hole at the Heavenly Greens golf course prepared just for you. The pastor said, no, 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 no. Wait a minute. I'm glad to be here and everything, but you know I serve Jesus faithfully as a pastor all these years on earth. St. Peter said, well, yes, pastor. We do know that, that, but you need to know that you have been judged based on your results that you got on earth. And pastor, whenever you preached, people slept. I'm watching. But whenever the taxi cab driver drove, people prayed. Yeah, so 
you know, I hope you got it. If not, I'll try to give you the website I got it from. How about that? So, listen, that's not exactly the way it's going to be. You need to know that. That's just simply just a joke. You know, St. Peter's not going to be waiting for you as you get to the gate. Understand that. But, you know, we all will be judged uh, sooner or later within our um, existence. We're going to be judged uh, one day for eternity. And I remember growing up, it's funny, I had uh, uh, some conversations this past week, or actually last two weeks with a couple people, about, I remember growing up, those end time movies. You remember those end time movies when you're like back in the like 80s and probably 70s, right? I didn't grow up in the 70s, I grew up in the 80, late 80s, early 90s, all right? But I remember some of them, and, and they'd scare you into salvation, I mean, they'd scare you plumb to death. And, and, and I remember hearing about one day, you know, all of us, we're all going to be judged. We're all going to be judged. And we're going to be judged according to what we have done or what, you know, we have not done. And, you know, we would think that you know, we, we'd be standing there at the gate and, and there would be this big TV screen or, or big uh, projector screen come down. And it would show everything you've ever done wrong, every bad thought you've ever had, every word that you've ever said incorrectly. And that's a horrible feeling, is it not? Yes. Well, so what is the judgment really going to look like for us as Christians? We're going to look at two different judgments today. And the first one is this, the judgment seat of Christ. What is it and when is it going to take place? You can look in your, your notes there. I have, I have some things there for you. But I want to start out with this, that many theologians believe that this is going to take place right after the return of Jesus. Right after the resurrection of the Christians and, excuse me, the Christian dead. And the reason they believe this is according to a verse and a story that Jesus was telling in Luke chapter 14. And uh, he was saying, a, um, giving a teaching, and, and I'm just kind of paraphrasing here a little bit for you. But in other words, he's saying this, if you're throwing a party, um, don't just invite your friends, your family. Don't just invite the rich people because they can pay you back. And by inviting them to your parties, you're not going to get anything in return special. But Jesus goes on to say, instead, invite the poor and the lame and the cripple because they cannot pay you back, but that I will repay you with a reward. And then Jesus says in Luke 14 and 14 this, although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, a lot of people believe that the judgment seat will take place after, or that is the, <clears throat> which we talked about last week, uh, the study of the righteous, but it's those who are in Christ that are raised from the dead. They will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. And we see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and 10. The scripture says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. A lot of people um, believe, and, and I'm going to have to say that I agree with this, that the judgment seat of Christ is a judgment for the Christians only. It is, you're not judged for salvation in this because you have already been accepted in because of the judgment seat of Christ. You're getting something different here. And we can understand that we're not going to be given any type of damnation because we're not saved. We understand now that we are saved. 
and that we have an eternity that will be with Christ in heaven. But this is a judgment for rewarding those for all the good works that they have done on earth. And those who will be rewarded are simply the believers in Christ. Now, follow me here a little bit. The Greek word translated for judgment seat, and we looked at this last week, is the word bima. It's spelled you know, B-E-M-A, just how it, how it says. And bima is not the seat where the judge sits and issues a verdict of guilty or not guilty or innocence, right? But instead, this seat was used, or it was a throne that was used where rewards were issued during the Grecan games or the Grecian games. Thank you so much, man. Now, under, try to understand this a little bit here, that this was a judgment that was given back in the, 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 the Grecian games where if a runner came into first or second, they were receiving a reward at that time. Not simply a innocence or guilty judgment here. So that brings me to something, and that is this. How will you and I be rewarded? We know for sure, according to Scripture, that there are at least five different crowns that will be given to believers. The first one is this. It's an incorruptible crown. Um, you can see that, and, and look on your own time, but you can see that in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. That is a crown where you're running a faithful race. In other words, you're being a devoted follower of Christ. We, we know that Paul specifically states that. The, the second crown is called the crown of rejoicing. It is seen in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 through 20. And that's for those who share their faith. In other words, you're inviting somebody to church. Um, you are being a witness to people. You, you are shedding light in your school, your workplace, within your family until the return of Christ. Um, the next one is a crown of righteousness where uh, love is returning. We see that in 2 Timothy 4 and 8. And it speaks directly about those who long for Christ returning. Remember last week we talked about Maranatha. Remember, there is a crown for those who are looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ. It's those who are anticipating, come quickly, Lord Jesus. You know, I, I briefly, you know, joked about it, but this is a, a real, very real truth. A lot of people will say, I want Jesus to come, but I want him to come after this happens first. Let me let you understand something. There's nothing so great on this earth that can compare to heaven. No relationship so important that can't compare to heaven. No natural event so enthusiastic, so eagerly anticipated, that should ever top the anticipation of going to heaven. And this is an easy crown. Because all you have to do is go, Lord, I can't wait for you to come back. All right. We understand that one. Now, this is one that I love specifically. This is the fourth one. You're going to know why I like this one, because you don't get it. 
This is called the crown of glory. This is for those faithful pastors. I hope I'm faithful, all right? So there we go. That's found in 1 Peter 5, 2 through 5. And then there's a crown of life. Those who suffer. James 1 and 12. We, we, you see all through the Bible martyrs. Those who have died for Christ. For the sake of Christ. Enduring hardship. We think we have it tough. You've not been stoned, have you? Well, let's rephrase that. Physically with a rock. Alright? Yeah, pastor. Wow. <laughs> I, I didn't even plan that, you know what I'm saying? That just kind of happened. You know, if you think, hey, you know what? I'm going to heaven, and Jesus is going to give me all these crowns, and I'm going to, you know, strut around with all these crowns. You know, like a kid with a wagon. You ever seen a kid with a wagon? I, my four-year-old, Caden, he's got this red wagon, and what he does is he likes to pretend like he's mowing the grass. He'll put his grass cutter or his lawnmower in there. He'll put his weed eater in there. And he'll take it around, pulling it with his wagon, and he'll go and he'll, you know, hit the spots of the yard that he thinks I've missed. You know what I mean? That's not how this is really going to happen, and you need to understand that. Because we understand something happens in Revelation chapter 4 when there's 24 elders, and the Bible says that they receive their crown. And you know what they do with their crown is this. They kneel it down before Jesus. They take their crowns that they were given and they placed it simply at the feet of Jesus. Because you can only imagine standing before Jesus with those nail-scarred hands, nail-scarred feet. You can only imagine the one who was placed with the crown of thorns right before you. It would have to be one of the most humbling moments of your entire existence. You would realize in that moment that the reward that you have, you didn't deserve. But instead, the one who deserve it is standing right in front of you. So it's not going to be one of those moments where I'm going to be pulling a wagon around with crowns in it. It's going to be one of those moments that every crown that will be given to you, you will be humble, humbled in that moment. Stretching it forth, taking it off and saying, here, Jesus, as an act of worship. And love and adoration for what he has done through salvation for your life. Through the blood that was sent and, and, and poured out to what wash away every sin that you have ever committed. Every wrong that you have ever spoken about someone. Every thought that has ever been impure. Every action that does not line up with the word of God. You will realize in that moment that I don't receive any of this. I don't deserve any of this. This is not mine for my belonging, but it is something that I need to do as an act of worship. As those 24 elders do in Revelation chapter 4. And just stretch it out and lay it simply at the feet of Jesus. So what I want to do is take a timeline. And it's pretty much a suggested timeline. Um... Because I'm not declaring it's 100% accurate. What we're going to do is take different verses and build what I'm guessing is an accurate timeline. Um, and, and I've got, you know, notes for you, but these notes aren't quite in your, I don't believe they're in your bulletin. So you, you might have to write kind of fast. But believers may be rewarded very early in the process according to Luke chapter 14 and 14. We understand that 
I, well, I, I, I clearly pointed this out to you last week. I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. I believe before the seven-year period that the church, we will be called, we will be called home, we will be called to Christ. So I believe, first of all, we have the seven-year tribulation. That's, you know, we understand the first three and a half years are full of, of peace. The second three and a half years are far worse than the first. We understand that during this time that the Antichrist has risen into power. Then there will be the battle of Armageddon. Evil versus righteousness. Our God wins. Satan is what? Thrown into the bottomless pit where he is found there or bound there for a thousand years. And then he is released for a short period of time. Uh, before God does away with him forever. I can't wait for that moment. How about anyone else? Now next we have during that thousand year time. Christ returns for a, that, what we call the millennial reign. This uh, is where he comes back. And, and he is uh, ruling here on this earth. For a period of a thousand years. Then comes. The resurrection of the dead. Now, I don't want you to be confused. If you recall last week, we understand that you could be born twice and dead once. Or you could be born once and die twice. Well, if you weren't here, you're probably going, how is that possible? Well, you can be born in the natural. Then you can die in the natural and eternally be dead through condemnation or damnation. Where? To hell. I don't want anyone there. I don't want my worst, the, the, the person who, who dislikes me the most there. I want everyone, and that should be all of our hopes and prayers, is that all come to a realization and to a relationship with Jesus Christ. But then we understand that there's what? You can have two births or one death. What does that consist of? That consists of being born naturally. Then we also understand through Scripture, then, then we can be what reborn, what? Spiritually. How are we reborn spiritually? Through accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So there you have your two births. And what is your death? Simply your natural death. Because you're eternally what? Now you're living eternally with our Heavenly Father. And that is all of our goal. That is what we want. But there is the resurrection of the dead. And what that is, is those are the non-Christians. That is the great white throne judgment where all of the non-Christians, those who are not believers, stand before God. And we understand that at that point, they are, just have to say it, they are sent to hell. Now, so what will heaven be like? Will we, will, will we be bored in heaven? Have you ever thought about it before? You know, Dr. David Jeremiah does a great study on it. We did it about a year, year and a half ago here at the church on Wednesday nights. It was a great study. If you don't come on Wednesday nights, you really should. It's a great opportunity to get into the Bible, dig a little bit deeper. But, you know, what is heaven going to be like? Is it going to be boring? I mean, wh what are we going to do in heaven? You know, there, I remember, you know, I've heard this many times, and I, I truly believe this. And you, you'll understand why. I believe there's baseball in heaven. It is the greatest sport on the face of this earth. There has to be baseball in heaven, right? Have you guys ever heard stories like that before? I have. I've, I've heard it many times. People, you know, just jokingly about it. But here's what we're going to learn about heaven. John had a vision in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. And we're going to see three specific descriptions of what heaven will be like. 
be like. And the first we're going to see is that God will establish what? A new heaven and a new earth. 21.1 in Revelation says, Then I saw, speaking John here, saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So what happened here? God establishes something brand new. No more, watch this, no more curse of sin in the new heaven. Amen. No more sickness. No more death. No more impurities. Nothing but what? Perfection. Heaven will be indescribably better than your greatest moment ever here on earth. We understand that the scripture tells us that no eye has seen, no ear has heard. What God has what? Prepared for those who love him. So we understand this, that it will be brand new. That God is making something brand new for you and me. The second is this. You'll never suffer again. Scripture says it this way. In verses 4 through 5 in Revelation chapter 21. He, speaking of God. He'll do what? Wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has what? Passed away. For he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. God's going to what? Wipe away every tear. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more family problems, no more divorces, No more cancer. Gosh, no more, watch this, no more loneliness. There'll be no more agony. Whatever it is that you don't like that you go through here on earth, it will no longer exist in heaven. Is that not enough for us to be just a little excited? We get excited about the life application parts of the Bible. I get it. I do too. That's my niche. That's where I'm most successful, is speaking life application. This this is eternal application right here. This is where we can get excited about knowing no more headaches, no more indigestion. Let's break this down. Let's get this real. No more bills. I got a little bit of a shout right there. No more bad bosses. Yeah, Mm, I heard some of you. Right? No more bad preaching. (laughs) Think about it. What you what is no longer? We're going to be in perfection. Watch. No more weight gain. I can drink all the cokes I want. I can't wait. All right, check this out. Number three, you will live with God forever. That's what heaven's going to be like. You're going to live with him forever. Uh, Revelation 21.3 explains it to us, and, and, and here's what it says. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. You know, one commentary actually says, and this is the last time that it's spoken. Um, and, and it's probably the, one of the most important announcements in the book of Revelation. But it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is what? With men. 
and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is the final declaration from the throne. God is saying, finally, it's done. I've created a new heaven, a new earth. You get to be there. Simply, I'm going to give you rewards for what you've done here on earth, what you're supposed to do. And you get to be with me forever. I've always wondered what it was like for Adam and Eve to be in the garden. To walk with God and have, for Adam to have conversation with God. I'll no longer have to wonder that. Because God will be where? Right there. I'll be in his presence. You know, Scripture says that we cannot look upon him in our purest essence and live. That our mortal bodies cannot handle the pure presence of God. But on that day, when we are raised to life, when we are no longer in our immortal bodies, but or the, excuse me, in, that we will be in our immortal bodies, clothed in what? Righteousness. That we can walk in God with fellowship, just as they did in the garden, the way that God intended for it to all be. You know, God just doesn't love us, but God is love. And he created you as an object of his love. And he wants to complete that plan. Now, here's the problem. Most people believe that heaven is a default destination. I'm going to clearly tell you this. It's not. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 7 and 13 and 14. He said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. So I'm going to kind of tell you it this way, and it's a very harsh reality. Heaven is not the default destination. Hell is the default destination. The tragedy is so many people believe because their grandparents were believers that they will instantly make it to heaven. Because maybe they're a member of a particular church, they will make it to heaven. Let me tell you this. The only way you will ever make it to heaven is simply by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. No amount of good works are going to get you to heaven. It's all about Jesus and Jesus only. We have many denominations all throughout this. You you have within the Protestant and the Christian church. You have your Methodists, you have your Baptists, you have your Charismatics, Pentecostals, you have your Apostolics, you have so many. And they all have just a different twitch about them. But let me tell you, only thing that matters is Jesus Christ. So many believe that the the, the path is, is, is so broad. But it's, it's not. The Bible tells us, Jesus says, that it is narrow. Now, we talked about the first judgment. The judgment seat of Christ where Christians go to be rewarded for their works on earth. And how we live will determine 
how we're going to be rewarded in heaven. But the second judgment is the great, is the great white throne judgment. It's one I really don't really care to know much about because I'm not going to be there. But John says it this way in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, a vision that he had. And he says this, Then I saw a great, a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, earth and sky, fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small. What does that mean? Those who are significant or seemingly insignificant while being here on earth. It was the popular versus the non-popular. The rich, the non-rich. It didn't matter. But it says, standing before the throne. And the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the book. Now here's what's important, verse 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. What is that telling me? If anyone's sins were not covered by Christ. If anyone had not called on the grace of God, if anyone was judged by their works alone and not by the perfect work of Jesus... If their name was what? Simply not found in the book of life. They would be thrown into the lake of fire. That is the default destination. Now, you could be thinking this, especially if you're not a church person. Maybe even if you are a church person. We could probably be thinking, wait a minute. That simply does not sound fair. I don't like that part of the story. That's not fair. God sending people to hell. That's not fair. Logically, that would say, to the non-believer, that is what would go through their mind. How could that be? How could God send people to hell? How could God send his own creation? into a damnation of hell. Let me ask you this. Have any of you ever known somebody who hurt someone so severely, but yet they were never held accountable for their actions? What happens? We typically look at a situation like that and we'll go this way. That's not fair. They should have to pay for what they've done. Have you ever known someone who did something so horrible? An injustice to someone else and got away with it with no consequences. What happens? We look on and say, well, that's not fair. Someone should pay for that. That's exactly what happens on the great white throne judgment. God takes all the judgment, all of sin, Follow me here, please. All of history, it says at this moment, there will be payment for the sins that were not covered by Christ. And because you don't have his righteousness, and because you are guilty, 
here's your punishment for sin. And not only is that fair, but that's what we would call justice. Now, if we want to play the it's not fair game, that's where those of us who are Christians or those of us who maybe are about to be this morning should get excited. Here's why. Because what is not fair is the one who was crowned with thorns. The thorns that you deserve. That's what is not fair. You deserve the lake of fire just as I deserve the lake of fire. But the only reason that we're there is because Jesus took the punishment of our sins upon him. You want to know what's not fair? He was innocent and we are guilty. That's what's not fair. It's not fair that I'm rewarded. That's not fair. It's not fair that his grace covered my sin. It's not fair that his righteousness was imputed to me for righteousness. It's not fair that I'm robed in righteousness and that robe covers my sin. It's not fair that he was innocent and suffered on our behalf because we are guilty. He's not guilty. That is what is not fair. And that's why when Jesus puts those crowns on our head, that we fall to our feet. We fall to his feet. And we begin putting them back to him as an act of worship. It's not fair that God would send humanity to hell. No, it's not fair that a man died for your sin. It's not fair to him that he went through the embarrassment, the pain, the torture, that he was crucified for you, for me, for humanity, a humanity that has so disrespected him, for a humanity that, that thinks that the word of God is not even alive, for humanity that will make fun of those who believe in Jesus. When he died, and you've heard this many times, who was he thinking about? You. He was thinking about the love that he has for you. You want to know what's not fair? It's not fair that he had to go through what he went through so that we could spend eternity with him. That's what's not fair. My hope today is that none of you will be at the great white, at the great white throne judgment. I don't want that for your life. But the only one that can make that choice is you yourself. I want you to stand with me this morning. You know what I want to do? I want to thank God that he is not fair. I want to thank God. I want to thank Jesus Christ that he took the weight of this world the sin of this world, and he paid it for you. 
Because we understand that the only way through Scripture that our sins can be paid for is for what? The default destination, and that is hell. But we've been given a gift, and that is Jesus Christ. So where are you today? Spiritually in your life, where are you? It's not enough just to attend church, let me tell you that. It's not enough just that your, your, your name is on a roll of some church. That's not enough. It's not enough that you help the poor and the needy. It's great, but it's not enough. It's not enough that you extend a helping hand. We know that there's only one way to the Father, and that is through the Son. So with every head bowed, every eye closed this morning, I'm going to ask you this simple question. If you don't know who Jesus Christ is as your Lord and Savior, and you would like to, Pastor, today I want to make, I want to make that commitment. I, I don't want to live my life like this any longer. I'm not doing this because I'm scared. I'm doing this because I want that relationship with Jesus. I, I, I don't want that great white throne judgment. I want to take that free payment that has been given for my sin I don't want Jesus' actions to go without any value. In other words, you're saying this. Today, pastor, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. If that's you in this room, all I want you to do is just slip up your hand. I see that hand. I see that one. I see those. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. More importantly, God sees the hand. More importantly, God sees the soul. God sees the heart. Do you know, I'm going to say this, and this isn't to scare anyone. There's billions of people in hell. Don't add to that number. Don't, don't add to that number. The easiest thing you could ever receive simply by, comes by just going, Lord, save me. Be my master. Be my king. Be my Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Here's what I want us to do as a church. Boldly and enthusiastically, I want us to pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, today I commit my life to you. I want you to be my Lord, my Master, and my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. From this day forward, I will live for you. Lead me, guide me, and protect me. I love you, Jesus. Amen. Can we give the Lord? Yes. But watch this. Hold on. No, no, I'm not done. Hold on. But watch this. This is where I get even more excited for you guys is this. You, if we will do the things we're supposed to do, God says, well, what are we going to get? We're going to get rewards. My little guy this week got something for doing what he's supposed to do. You're going to get some cool stuff for simply doing what you're supposed to do. This isn't very hard, guys. This is pretty simple. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray another prayer over you. And here's why I'm going to pray it. 
because I want you to do what you're supposed to do. The easy things, the things that the the Bible clearly gives us a blueprint on. What do we do? We share our faith with people. What do we do? We keep running that race. We don't give up. This is the easiest one of them all. What do we do? Maranatha, our Lord is coming back. Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. I ask, Lord, that as we leave this place today, you see your followers and they love you. We're standing here as the body of Christ. Help us, God. Help us to do do the things simply we're supposed to do. You have not given us anything so hard that we can't do it. Equip us, Lord. Help us to stay faithful and press forward. Father, let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, you are our strength and our redeemer. And Father, every gifting, tithing, and offering that's given to you today may it be used to continue to grow your kingdom. In Jesus' name, and the church says, amen. We love you guys.